0: from the largest global governments and health insurers to local hospitals and public health agencies from sweden to singapore to south dakota sas health helps the world get to a healthier future faster with advanced analytics and leading artificial intelligence and machine learning platforms I'm your host, Alex Meresberger, and in season three of our podcast and YouTube series, we celebrate those changing healthcare and life sciences for the better. Today we get to celebrate and welcome Dr. Kuhn Koss, healthcare futurist, author, and founding CEO of Health Scouts. Welcome, Dr. Koss.
1: Well, thanks, Alex. That's a very nice introduction and a pleasure to be here.
0: So I, I come from a uh, consumer experience background in hospitals and health insurers in the, which might be unique to the United States healthcare market. But I've certainly seen the words exceptional experience, the human experience. Um, in Europe, I know there's the citizen experience. Certainly, there are roles for design thinking and human centered design. You use the term delight thinking. Why?
1: Yeah. Um, so, design thinking is indeed built to solve problems. Eh? You start from a friction, you find a solution. But that's limited, because if you are able to show people something they can even not imagine would exist, then you can start creating from a white page, and you can start to create a kind of an ultimate future. Delight thinking provides ultimate experiences, close to magic, but still real. And we found... That rather than bringing new technology, new science into healthcare. It helps to show the healthcare system, whether it's a payer, a government, a hospital, based on things they didn't realize they could get, how they can create something so magical for the patient, for the citizen, that that is what delight is. An experience which makes me look forward to encounter. Let me give you two examples. Huh? Example one, the hospital might expect me to come to the hospital if I can use new technology which allows me to bring the hospital to my home, and the hospital says to me, Well, you no longer need to come. I think two parties are happy. I need, I mean, technology for doing that. I need ways to deal with data doing that. Eh? One example. Second example, eh? if I tell a patient I can look to the chance that you get colon cancer, well, the majority of patients says, Well, Dr. Kass, I'm not interested because you're not gonna put a tube in the back of my body, I'm not looking forward to that. If I then show a small tiny pill, which I can swallow, which makes better pictures than ever seen before, all of a sudden, a naysayer becomes a yes-sayer. And the idea of showing something unexpected creates that delight. And so we're using that now to really say, well, what would be the ultimate healthcare system? And let's try working back, reverse engineer what we need to get there.
0: You, so years, you sound excited. Years ago, I think you said this is the most exciting time to be in healthcare, and then you said you'd say <laughs> yeah. that again in ten years. With all the challenges we currently face, is is that still true today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can never be born too late. By the way, so um, I, I think that if I would have had a talk a year ago with you and would have used the wording NFT, metaverse, digital twin, and anticipational intelligence in one. Podcast, you would call me a super nerd. Now I'm still a super nerd, but I guess the words will start to fly because yes, you see increment of increased exponential adoption from new things, which we need to get together to really create the future. Eh? Things need to come in parallel together. It's a little bit like the um, the the GoPro. Eh? GoPro became popular when YouTube was there. Because I was able to film my down street downhill skiing, other people could see that, it was streamed, and they said, well, let's bring it on. You sometimes need to have technologies coming together to really move things forward. And that's indeed the time we are in. From a, from a year ago,
0: I think we've now heard all of those words more, and certainly we're hearing more about the concept of a digital twin. What does that mean, and where are we at with that?
1: Yeah, so the concept comes initially from NASA. eh? When Apollo 13 had an issue, basically uh, um, um, NASA made a twin of the capsule trying to mimic what was happening in outer space. And then industrial started to adopt that. eh? And digital twins became virtual Copies of physical assets. And if I make, for instance, a new car, I want to develop a new car, I first have to prove on the virtual copy that I can improve the quality of the car before making it. We start to see now, for the first time, that using big data sets, sensors, we can start to envision to see a digital copy of a human being, which is basically defined by all the Features which define who I am, my genome, my microbial, my transcriptome, my social determinants of health, my whereabouts, basically everything which defines me. So we start to become able, Alex, to envision a world where everybody, a patient today, a citizen tomorrow, has his or her own avatar, which is able to learn what works on me, therapeutic-wise, predictive-wise, preventive-wise, before you bring it on on me. And so I think that the biggest future of healthcare is a future where we go back to a system, 2,500 years old, where in some parts of China, the doctor lived amongst people in the village and was paid to keep people happy. I think that we start to be able to create that Chinese doctor again in a virtual fashion and provide everybody his kind of personal health companion.
0: Uh, we, we learn a lot from the past, and I love that. In a lot of ways, the overall healthcare system and the overall internet are just now being connected. What happens when they come together?
1: Yeah, I think we have only seen the top of the top of the iceberg. Eh? Incidentally, the economists this week had an entire issue about the quantified self, eh? the idea to put wearables and dermals and insidables me to measure heart rate, pulse rate, I mean, Whatever you can think of. Basically, we've been there something like 15 years ago. But that is still so artificial. That's still Stone Age. Eh? What I really envision is that healthcare becomes something by default. I'm living in a space, a house, a club, a wherever. And invisibly, sensors are able to measure what's happening with me and connect me to that Chinese doctor almost on the fly, 24-7. So I don't want to have wearables and machines around me. I want to have the internet which measures what is happening and basically acts upon this data. And that is the reason why things like 5G and 6G start to become relevant. That's the reason why we need to have machine learning to mine, for instance, the fact that what I will do the next 15 minutes is move from A to B. We can already start to predict, based on big data sets of, let's say, hundreds of thousands of people, where someone will be the next 10 minutes. And that's early. But today or tomorrow, we will be able to predict what's happening the next 20 minutes. And we start to be able that computer power and really smart algorithms are able to predict things in time. And so that is what I think is the answer to your question. The overlay of the internet really on our real world will shape a system which is always on and brings healthcare by default. And I'll come back maybe on one aspect of that because that brings us the question, where will this data be stored?
0: Yeah. Right, I think that's that's part of all of our questions. If we have this digital twin, if we have this explosion of data that just sort of predicts where we're going to be before we're there, who controls that? Who owns it? Should we be worried yeah. about the, the privacy of that?
1: Yeah. Um, I often say on the stage that privacy is something for sissies. Um, I think What is going to happen is the following. Um, You have three big models on the planet. You have the US-based model, my data go to Facebook or to Google, they make a business model around that and, well, I'll live with that. You have the Chinese model, my data go to the government and they decide what I do. (laughs) Maybe not perfect. And then there's the European dream, the European dream saying, well, can we manage to provide every citizen kind of the steering wheel and the dashboard to do things by himself or herself and decide what happens with his or her data enter us-based gentleman tim berners lee one of the co-inventors of the internet huh? who at some point in time starts to realize well maybe we should make something better and he starts to come up together with a belgian professor by the way with a new iteration of the internet called solids and solids is a way to start thinking about a decentralized web where everybody gets a pod, a personal online data store for Alex, for Kuhn, for Sisi, who basically allows you to decide what you upload in the pod. And then you get doors and external parties can come knock the door. I think that will be the new introduction of the internet. Now, incidentally, Alex, for some reason, my government got pretty excited in that idea. And we started to help them thinking about, well, what if we provide that as a nation? To our citizens. And we are very close to launching that exactly in my country as the first, well, global citizen centric data platform, which will be called We Are and which will allow that we can start to play with our personal stores and build experiences based on that. And that is, I think, something where the entire planet will start looking to how that pans out here.
0: Really exciting. We'll be following along to see how it goes and love that you laid out those three models so specifically. The way we currently pay for more health care instead of more health, uh, which you talked about with the Chinese doctor in, in older times, it's often called sick care. You wrote a book called Sick No More. Does the business yeah. model of healthcare care need to change before we'll actually see some of the vision you lay out for a healthier future?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is some change needed and that's part of my job eh, to kind of a little bit inspire people that we can build a world in which we make more money from staying healthy than getting sick. eh? First of all, there's the economical side. eh? For every 100 euro yen we spend on sick care, we spend 92 euro to the last two years of our life and less than 3 euro to prevention or 3 dollars to prevention. So what could you imagine that if we take 10% off the curative part, and increase right, the 3 to, let's say, 10. That's a huge amount of difference, right? So how would that look like? Imagine I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a diabetic patient, huh? and my biggest fear is my eyes will go, well, I get blind and my kidney will fail. That makes me the most expensive patient in the healthcare system. But 10 years before I get pre pre-diabetic, I start to get pre-diabetes. And that is a time where you can still interfere with lifestyle or with change in my life. So what if we use the money, we save on the end of game, end of life, and start to use digital tools to enter into the real world, real life of pre-diabetics and show them how we can stop disease and revert disease back to normal. That's where we currently are. Also, a number of US-based companies have really good clinical evidence that you can do that. eh? Revert disease back to normal and make money from that. So then you have to start to think, well, who has to pay for that? And we see the first pairs. We see the first uh, nations which really start to get that model. eh? Dubai pays me one gram of gold for every two kilograms I lose by exercise not to get diabetic. eh? Singapore has a deal with Apple, where every citizen gets a reward, a monetary reward, um, if he or she lives healthy. So we start to see the reverse. And I think that the key now is to make that delightful, to provide people kind of an experience where it becomes normal to stay healthy. And if I may, to give you one example, I find the fascinating one yeah. The majority of people have a Netflix account or whatever, a a Disney account now. Netflix allows you, with a little tweak, to program the major or the favorite character from your favorite series on your smartphone as you coach. And only if you exercise enough, you can watch the next episode from your favorite series. That's a pretty cool experience, which keeps me healthy and which gives me something artistically almost to look forward to that next thing, right? So think about what, for instance, that Metaverse can do. eh? I I don't like exercising, I don't like walking, but I like to play, well, with swords or with kind of um, lightsabers, and the exercise I do in a VR kind of um, environment is the same which other people do by walking 30 minutes. So let's take that one step further. We currently have apps which, for instance, show people a piece of art after exercising a bit. What if that piece of art becomes a NFT, a real unique piece of art which I can get from an artist which basically gets happy because he gives you something unique, a unique piece which basically helps him to bring happiness and wealth to you and provides you with a unique because you remain healthy. I think that is a fascinating new way to look to new ways to deal with health. And what I always like, also from a US perspective, um, your Best Buy uh, example, the company which started to spend time in building trust with elderly people that they could really stay at home, watched by technology from within a data science center in Best Buy. So Best Buy is no longer just a consumer electronics company. It became a healthcare company. And it got even more fascinating, I think a few months ago, when they acquired a patch, a digital health tool, which is a small patch which sticks to my skin and is able to measure six vitals in the comfort of my home. So all of a sudden, a company like Best Buy is able to start running clinical trials. So I think SAS and pharma companies will see the best buys of these planets as their new partners to bring healthcare really to the patient in the comfort of his home. And it started with building trust and building new experiences.
0: A lot of what you're you're talking about sounds like the precision medicine of getting to that N of one. How precise is precision medicine today? And then how precise is it going to be in the future?
1: Yeah, that's a difficult one. Huh? Um, I have an oncology background, and in oncology, in, in 1950, we had one blood disease. It was called blood disease. And then five years later, we discovered the difference between leukemia and lymphoma. And 20 years later, we had 24 different diseases. Now, we have 200 blood, can- blood cancers. So it took 50 years to go from one disease to 200, well, more precise diseases. Eh? And now we start to realise when we get more insight in our genome, our transcriptome, our proteome, that yes, everybody will be unique. Eh? So that at the end of the <laughs> of the game, every disease is a rare disease, with N is one. So if you could think that true, if that would be true, eh? the ultimate personalized medicine we are not there yet, and maybe we don't need to get there, but bear with me, is world where we are able to have so much data which distinguish Kuhn from Alex that you no longer need to run clinical trials with more than is one Because you can compare me against a baseline, and if I am off baseline by disease, you bring me back to baseline by providing a treatment or an interference in my life. Right? And so the idea of ultimate personalized medicine is indeed the ability to use all the data which I initially introduced to make my digital twin to start really thinking about what personalized medicine looks like. Now, to make it a little bit more concrete... Huh? Um, I got my own genome sequenced. And I have a number of uh, things which I find interesting. I I am a very bad sleeper, really bad sleeper. And normal people would say, well, you should sleep more. That's pretty annoying when people tell me that. eh? But they will look in my genome. I mutate. I have a mutation which runs in families, which incidentally makes that you can live with a little bit less sleep. Three weeks ago, pretty um, uh, interesting, a study appears in cell best kind of bio uh, journal, where it's discovered that in mice, not in human yet, but in mice, a mutation in one of these sleep genes delays the onset of Alzheimer's. So these mice, when even stimulated, they don't get Alzheimer's. You know what I did? I went back to look into my genome. And yes, big time, not at the same location as in mice, but a few locations upstream of of the mouse gene, I have a mutation in my gene. What does it mean? I don't know. So we used an AI tool. We used um, AlphaFold from, from 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 DeepMind to look to the 3D expression of that piece of DNA in, at the protein level. And all of a sudden, I discover that at some point in my genome, it introduces an, a knack in the protein, which kills the function, and probably implies that I have the same mutation as what happens in mice. Well. I find that exciting because that isn't any one. So how are we going to bring that to the public to even explain people that you can find out? Are we even willing to find out? So the, the, the answer to your question is that personalized medicine will only live if we can inform people that the way we deal with data brings a benefit for them and that people will be willing to bring all this data together to kind of the ultimate kind of Ubered, um, a mineable set of data. With one big difference, they do not need to get in one place. They can remain in my private online store.
0: In your work with delight thinking, you talk about the unknown unknowns. Um, and you sort of said that uh, it's, you're not dealing with the problem or the Coming at it from a problem or solution standpoint, uh, you're giving someone something they don't know about. And so, as someone that invests a lot of time talking about and learning about healthcare, what's something that would surprise me now as a healthcare leader? Or what insight has surprised you?
1: Yeah. First of all, the willingness of people to share data—really, believe me—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, of it limits our thinking that people are not willing to share. So, if I explain something to someone that with a data point I can do something, that's kind of very often an eye opener. Second, if people say, Well, I don't want to share a sample of blots because you put a needle in my body, eh, you could argue, Well, there is maybe a kind of an unknown unknown which helps this. Eh? And then, if we show, for instance, a small patch. There is three vendors now, which is sticking to my skin and basically sucks blood without even me knowing it, which is a pretty delightful way of dealing with. All of a sudden, you bring someone who says, well, you cannot introduce me in a trial or use data from me into someone who says, well, wow, if you can do that, you might be able to find out X or Y. So that idea eh, of using unknown unknowns where you didn't realize you get something, I find yeah a way to progress things. And let me give you another example. You know what the biggest fear is, which people have if they have to go to the hospital, I mean, mainly elderly people, it's basically who will take care for my dog. So in one of the hospitals here in Belgium, we installed a kennel on site side of the hospital. So patients can walk with the dog to the hospital. And apparently, it makes them better faster because they're l- less stressed. And basically, the delight of that unknown insight basically makes healthcare truly better and gets you or gives you a delightful experience. Incredible.
0: With all of the challenges facing the world and facing the world of healthcare and life sciences today, what makes you optimistic about the future?
1: Huh. Um, yeah, people call me a kind of progression optimist. I don't know whether that even exists in English, um, but I mean... I don't know whether you get a statue for being a pessimist, but it it makes the world easier to show the art of the possible. And believe me, a number of things we do completely (laughs) fail. eh? But I found a way to turn that failure into not just a learning, but the way to say, well, now we're going to do something even kind of more exciting. And that's the reason why that first book even was called Signal More. eh? Signal More is ultimate. It's 100. And maybe we will not get there, but it's easier to aim for something big and to land at 93 than to say, well, this is the current reality we have. Let's make it better and we maybe end up with 64. So by showing the art of the possible eh, and showing people what can be done to provide them novel experiences, you really can can move the needle. Incidentally, Alex, eh, if people get asked before they die what they regretted in their life, it's always the same. It's not what they've done it's the experiences they haven't had. And for that reason, I think the, the real power, also for SAS, is starting to think, what would SaaS Delight look like? How can I bring something to my customer, but also my end user? Eh? Look beyond your customer. Just don't see your hospital or your nation as the end user. You see, you have to see the citizen as the end user. And if you can start to think what Delight looks in your world, well, believe me people will come and knock your door and delight you cannot top it i can make a better product than yours i can make a better service than yours maybe i can top your experience but delight i cannot top and that, for that reason bringing that into kind of people's mindsets really helps to change the future and everybody feels kind of energized by that and so all the the the, the, the Parties I have the honor to work with—they build tiny, tiny bits of the world I once hoped to build, and that's a world in which our grandchildren no longer need to get sick.
0: Tremendously exciting. the The title that you you often have is a futurist. Uh, what does a futurist mean? Do you predict the future?
1: Oh, oh no, no, no! The, 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 we should kill that, that term. Uh, It's—I I hate it. Um, uh, I cannot predict the future. No one can. eh? Even Bill Gates didn't predict the pandemic. Truly not. But what I do believe is that we can co-create the future. And that is a skill set which I think everybody can learn, in a sense. It's a mindset, almost. eh? And I see a lot of pharma companies which the last few years have hired a chief digital officer. And I always make a joke. You, didn't, you don't need a chief digital officer. You need one officer in your entire company as a chief delight officer. And everybody should be that. Eh? Also in your company, the cleaning lady, make her a delight lady. And she sees fiction, She sees issues as well. She can also say, well, why don't we do it this way? But I guess that was not your question. I forgot your question. What was your question? Um, do you predict the future? As a ah, yeah. so No, no, no. So I predict the future, but I show bits and pieces of things which are possible, bring them together, and all of a sudden people say, well, wow, if I can do that, that is magic. Let me give you one example. People with multiple sclerosis, they are now able to get a shoe which contains a sensor, and the sensor measures gait. And the gate is linked to my Spotify or to an an app which plays with the rhythm of the music in my ears and compensates the fear which I have to step by a musical experience. So it's a digital therapeutic which delights multiple sclerosis patients with the combination of data, a piece of technology, an AI tool and a piece of art. Well, I find that a fascinating way to show how a future could look like based on bits and pieces which exist, but which we bring together in a new format. And that is creating the future.
0: Dr. Koss, really appreciate your time. Love your vision for that a healthier future is going to take all of us and that we all are delight officers. Uh, I know you have infinite demands on your time. Really appreciate you choosing to spend a little bit of it with us today.
1: No, no, the pleasure is absolutely mine. It's kind of, it's spreading the word. Huh? It's like, um, yeah, it's, a, it's part of the, it things forward. It makes people happy, really, spreading the word and putting it forward.
0: <laughs> and as a, a viewer and listener, there's so much demand on your time. Thank you so much for listening and participating. We can't wait to continue creating a healthier future with you. There are so many real challenges in the world. We hope that wherever you are, there are ways to find and be the good around you. Uh, We welcome you to the conversation at our email address, thehealthpulsepodcast at sass.com and here in the comments on YouTube. Thank you.